Hey folks, and welcome to Growth Triggers. This is a new segment we're piloting on Deconstructor, a fun podcast focusing on all matters growth. Now, Growth Triggers has two hosts, Eric Suford, founder of Mobile Dev Memo and Heracles Media. Eric is a man who served as head of growth at several top gaming companies and by far the most knowledgeable person to talk about growth that I know of. And your second host is, host is myself, Mishka Katkov, founder of Deconstructor Fun and Savage Game Studios. My background is on the product management and studio leadership side of games. Now, why our background is somewhat relevant is because in this segment, we'll tackle the topics from both marketing and product perspective. So as we're developing this segment, we'd love to hear from you. Let us know what topics you'd like us to cover and what we can do to improve. I hope you enjoy the show. And I hope we're able to earn all five stars. Before we start, as always, big thanks to our sponsors. I think what's what's become clearer, certainly in the last few years, as competition in the game industry has really stepped up, is that there's a fundamental difference between a great game and a great game business. You know, you could be super lucky. You, your game is an instant hit. It's resonating with users. But for when that's not the case, uh, or even when you just want to take your game growth to the next level, that's where we come in. So we've developed a really incredible platform that's designed to make you as powerful and as capable as possible in growing your game, whether that's growing your game revenue or growing your user base. That was Melissa Zeloff, VP of Marketing at Iron Source. We all know it. Mobile marketing is going through a paradigm shift. With the industry moving towards a more aggregate way of measuring marketing efforts, marketers' ability to measure and understand the impact of their marketing investments is further curtailed. AppsFlyer, though, is not sitting on the sidelines. The company has set a goal to help their customers and the entire mobile ecosystem to successfully navigate the new era of mobile marketing. And that's where AppsFlyer's latest product, the Incrementality Solution, comes to play. It's a product that truly empowers marketers to gain a better understanding of the real value that their marketing efforts hold. AppsFlyer's Incrementality Solution is built around remarketing. It simplifies the process of designing, executing, and analyzing incremental lift tests at scale, which previously was something that only the biggest players on the market were able to do. With, with incrementality, marketers can focus on the end goal of their test without actually having to worry about the heavy lifting that comes with it. To learn more about incrementality and to read the success stories from publishers like Kabam, I suggest that you head out to appsflyers.com. Well, hello, hello, hello. Growth Triggers is back after after a grindful time that I had. <laughs> now, now a little bit more time to record. Eric, good to have you back on the on the uh, on the podcast series. Yeah, great to be chatting with you uh, after such a long uh, period. Yeah, I had to get those predictions out, and you wrote one of the pieces that was highly uh, touted and accepted overall. So. You know that took a that took a hot second writing all those things, but I wanted to dive right in right in with you on this, and that is J.K. being calling you out on a bunch of things, like on the um, the adjust stuff, uh, perhaps on the uh, the latest Zynga news. So, what's your what's your kind of take on on what J.K. has been talking about about your um, your posts? Uh, well, I only heard the app love and adjust commentary i didn't hear anything about zynga um yeah i'll have to I'll have to catch up on my twigs um i actually don't even remember what he said i think he just i think we just sort of we just sort of disagreed kind of superficially on something but um 
Yeah, I mean, my take on the app love and adjusting was that, you know, they're making this full push into building out their own kind of independent ecosystem that's supported by all the kind of pieces of tech that you need. Um, and I think that's where he differed. I think he thought it was just a, I don't know, a revenue play or something. Uh, well, I can update you on the latest Twix or Eric Kress was, was making a notion that you are basically uh, selling fear on this IDFA and you're secretly investing into all these companies <laughs> as their stock is tanking. It's like Y2K for you. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't own any Zynga. I had some Zynga puts uh, hmm. a couple months ago that made money. And then I had some Zynga calls uh, right before earnings that made money. But I don't own any Zynga stock. Um, and I, the rest of these companies are private, so I don't even know how I, I mean, uh, <laughs> I own Facebook, but I, I've said that I'm long Facebook. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't know. I don't know where I'd be making money here. Uh, oh. I don't think I'm selling fear. I, I think people don't take this seriously enough. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I've been talking about it for a long time. I've been talking about this since 2017. Yes. Right. Um, so it's not like, you know, if this is like a get rich quick scheme, it already has failed. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so talk to me about these, these latest things. So you, you wrote this amazing post about content fortresses. Now let's take it to the dumb level. So something that I can understand now, what kind of advantages does app Lovin have since they own game studios in multiple genres, a mediation platform, an attribution platform, and probably good to take even a step, step back. And, and if you can describe what is a mediation platform and what is an attribution platform. So this goes back to the news of app loving, buying, adjust. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good place to start. I mean, I think, um, you know, if you, by the way, I did a clubhouse with Eric Crest, and he is like much less uh, excitable. Uh, he was much less excitable on the, on the clubhouse than he is in, in, in Twig. I think you get like, you get like the sort of, uh, you know, wound up Eric Kress on Twig on the clubhouse. He, he was like very sort of like low key and mellow. Um, I think, I don't know, maybe it was just, uh, it was a different crowd uh, that was listening, but um, it was, I, I was expecting him to come out of the gate, dropping F bombs, you know, just get his voice gets all high pitched and he's yelling and, <laughs> and none of that. <laughs> He, he kept, he was almost like, I think he was wearing a suit. Like, no, I'm just kidding. But, uh, <laughs> but yes. So if you think about what I, the way I was kind of thinking about this yesterday, and I might write a, another post, like a follow-up post about this is like, what, what is an app store? If you think about, you know, the, the app store on, on the, on, on iOS or like Google play, like what is an app store? What, what, what are the component parts of the app store that make it an app store, right? Well, there's a bunch of content, right? There's a bunch of things you can download and, and find and, and uh, you know, interact with. And then there's, there's a whole bunch of plumbing, right? That, you know, like payments, gateways, and there's, you know, fraud, uh, you know, sort of detection mechanisms, although those don't work very well on iOS apparently, or not as well as Apple likes to claim they do. If you've been following the news about these kind of scam apps. Um, there's editorial, right? There's, there's that kind of stuff, but, but really it's just, it's just a bundle of content. It's a bundle of content, um, you know, that, that has like some discovery layer and then some, some plumbing kind of underneath it. Um, and, and that, you know, that it's kind of owned by one company that's an app store really. And then, so if you think about, okay, well then what, what, what makes it not an app store? If you had that thing, if you had the app store and you had to just sort of whittle things away from it, um, at what point would it not be an app store anymore? Right? Well, probably when it just uh, gets rid of the storefront, 
right? That's kind of it. Like that, that just sort of that veneer of like, hey, we're, we're sort of collecting these things in an organized way. And that's what makes this an app store. If it's just a bunch of apps and they're sort of like loosely connected, then that's not an app store. And I think that's what App Lovin is trying to build. I think that's what Zynga is trying to build. I don't know if they're so deliberate about it, but I think that's, that's basically the future of digital content distribution. It's like this collection of apps that are sort of like loosely connected, maybe not in a visible way, but sort of under the surface, um, they're, they're sort of, uh, they're, they're organized together and they're linked together by, you know, by some company that owns them, right? And so it's not just App Lovin doing this. If you, if you think about, even, uh, the way I think about Disney, right? Disney Plus, that is the kind of future of like content distribution, right? It exists on all devices. Um, and and it's, it's the sort of interface to this big catalog of, of content that people sort of access, you know, in, in, in a multitude of ways. So, okay, so that's just, that's kind of my, my high level thesis about like, well, okay, um, that's the direction everything's gonna move into, right? For a number of reasons. One is because, you know, just cross-platform interoperability is, is becoming a thing um, with, you know, 5G um, and just better technology to serve this content and stream it uh, to like a dumb device, right? That's happening. And then, um, you know, the sort of the, and for that reason, that sort of one-to-one -one relationship between the hardware form factor and the hardware manufacturer and the content distribution portal is eroding, right? And I think that's what ATT is all about. I think that's what um, iOS 14 is all about. But kind of taking a step away, because of that, because ATT is happening, right? Now all these companies are seeing, well, hey, I, I can't do acquisition anymore very efficiently, right? I've got all this content. And as a, you know, the, the sort of um, running paradigm for like me is, hey, if I want to get users for this content, I can buy them very efficiently from Facebook, right? I can buy them very efficiently from Unity or AppLovin or, or Bungle or whatever and just get that user in. And I'll think about that user as just being the user in, in this game, right? Or the user in this app. Like I'm gonna, I, they've got an LTV for some specific amount of time. I'm buying against that. And I don't care. I don't really care what happens to them after that. Well, now you have to be a lot more thoughtful, right? About that whole sort of acquisition process, right? And you have to really think it more, um, think about it more as like this relationship with the consumer, right? Um, and so I, I kind of think about this as like an ARR paradigm. It's, 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 not, it's acquisition, that's part of it. You have to get the users into your products, but then you also have to retain them and you have to, um, to re-engage them. And you have to build tech to do that, right? And so I think what AppLovin is doing, because if they flee from your, if they flee from your sort of uh, purview, if they leave your, your content, you have to reacquire them. And it's, really, it's gonna be really expensive to acquire users going forward, right? Because you won't be able to target them very specifically. It's gonna be very inefficient. And so when you do acquire them, you have to get more out of them than just that like 90 day or 180 day LTV from the specific content that you're acquiring them into, right? And so that's what AppLovin is doing. I think that's what Zynga is doing is they're building this whole ecosystem where they get a user in and they can just kind of move them all around and retain them and wrap their arms around them and build a relationship with them so that they get more than that 180 day you know, LTV for the acquisition that they buy because they're not going to be able to do that very efficiently anymore. So, so what is, uh, just taking even a step back, like <clears throat> AppLovin used, I mean, they have a uh, mediation platform and now they bought uh, an attribution platform. So what is a mediation platform? What is an attribution platform? Well, mediation platform is just a tool for optimizing yield, right? It's just yield optimization. So just getting the best uh, price basically for your impressions um, as they come up. So AppLovin doesn't really own a mediation platform. They own what's known as like an, an in-app bidding platform. So it's kind of it's similar-ish you know, conceptually, but 
the sort of execution is a lot different. So um, <clears throat> what a mediation platform does is you basically just set up a waterfall of um, networks that will serve a placement, right? Based on historical CPM. So like based on the, based on the, the, the price that these, his, these, these companies were willing to pay you for impressions historically, you'll, you'll give them like a sort of pr uh, prioritized access to the impression as it comes up. And then um, uh, in-app bidding platform just does that in real time. So it, it, you know, instead of, instead of saying, hey, well, this network usually pays me a lot. So I'll give them first access to this impression. And, and this network usually pays me a little bit less than that. So I'll give them second, um, you know, second place access to that. I mean, uh, in-app bidding platform just says, hey, well, let's just collect bids from everybody in real time when the impression comes up and serves it to, and serve it to whoever um, is willing to pay the most. And so that helps with, with um, just making as much money as you can from ad monetization, right? Which is, you know, important for, for app loving because, um, you know, that's an important sort of line of business, but they also own a lot of content, right? They own a lot of games. And so, you know, all of that data that flows through there is helpful you know, in terms of, in terms of sort of like servicing their clients better, servicing the, the, the app publishers that, that use um, Max, uh, their in-app uh, bidding platform, it, it services sort of them in a better way because there's lots of data and they can sort of make better decisions based on this, all this aggregated data from everyone that uses it, but also helps their own games, right? Um, and it's kind of the same thing with attribution, right? So <clears throat> now they're totally different, but attribution platform is basically just identity platform, knowing who somebody is. Right. And so, you know, one reason as, as the reason that sort of JK positive for Apple and buy and adjust was that uh, I think it's just that, Hey, this, this company makes revenues. And so we should buy companies that make revenues. Um, and maybe there's some synergy synergies there. Yeah, that's, that's true, but it's kind of distressed. Right. Um, you know, the idea is that these companies aren't going to be as necessary going forward. And so, you know, the revenues are probably going to decline. Right. And so there's kind of like not a, the multiple arbitrage opportunity there, I think, is not as um, as real as some people think there is, uh, you know, because the idea would be like, well, game game studios have kind of like low uh, revenue multiples for valuation and SaaS companies have high. And so if we buy a SaaS company, we buy the SaaS revenue, we become kind of a SaaS company and then our multiple goes up. Right. I don't think that was the reasoning because, well, you're not going to continue to get that nice SaaS multiple for a company where they're just sort of like operating operating environment is degrading. Right. Which is happening for these attribution companies. Um, my thought there was they just bought a bunch of cash flow right before their IPO. So that's one. I mean, that's just the financial engineering of that was just, it was just basically the, 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 the sort of like perfect timing, right? Hey, we can buy a bunch of cash flow right before our IPO and it, it makes us look better, right? And our business, our overall business is not distressed, even though the underlying business for, um, for adjust is, you know, we still have this, ca this cash flow kind of rolls up into an overall picture of the business that looks pretty bright, right? That was kind of one, one sort of explanation for this. I think the other though, is that they're just putting all these pipes together. And so with the attribution you know, platform in place, they have an identity platform, right? So they know, they'll be able to know who users are. And if they make all of this first party, it doesn't really violate ATT, right? If all of this is first party data that sits on this unified backend that they have, then it doesn't violate ATT. ATT is about third party tracking. It's about getting data from somebody else or giving data to somebody else to identify a user. Well, Apple 11 doesn't have to do that anymore. They've got an ad monetization platform They've got an attribution platform and they have a whole bunch of content that sits on top of that, that they own. And all that data is their own first party proprietary data. So none of that is tracking. Um, knowing, you know, that person A is playing one of their games and, and they're also playing uh, another one of their games um, or, you know, sort of like routing them from game A to B, game B with like intelligent cross promotion. None of that, none of that involves tracking because all that data is their own. Got it. Yeah, because... <clears throat> 
JK was was all about these conspiracy theories. I think he's been spending too much time in Clubhouse. Uh, <laughs> but, but he was talking about like high frequency trading and this is exactly like that. And this is Robin Hood and Citadel type of deal. This is so shady. And I, I get that, but my approach was was much more programmatic like yours. I, I, I truly believe that that they just want to have more data about their own audience to be able to, you know, take more out of their audience and keep their audience. But as they're starting to cross promote and both app loving as well as Zynga have very broad portfolios and with different genres. So of course it, it, it makes kind of sense. So is that just, just to end up in a question, is that the, uh, the advantage? So uh, the, um, let's say Zing, if Zynga or let's talk about app loving. So app loving owning, uh, um, um, an attribution platform, as well as this very big portfolio of games. One is, of course, the SaaS model, which as they are IP owning, it definitely makes sense to go under SaaS model rather than the um, sort of a games driven business type of model. And the second thing is, is that now that they have this attribution platform, they just become more efficient with cross promotion with, 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 uh, with acquiring players and keeping players in their network. Yeah, exactly. I mean, at some point, it, you can't even really call it cross-promotion. I mean, their content catalog is huge, right? It's almost just like an internal ad network that they have and they'll be able to use. And all of this, so I mean, like the, pro the big problem with attribution, right? I mean, you're not going to have the IDFA and people talk about the idea of V. I think the idea of V is kind of a red herring. I don't think that's going to be super useful. Um, I think what AppLovin is doing is they're building their own app store, essentially, right? Like if I, you know, I said, hey, well, what, what, what makes something not an app store? Well, the content's got to be there. The plumbing's got to be there. Just the storefront. Well, they won't have a storefront. They're not going to have AppLovin app that you open up and they, hey, here's all the Wine Studios games. Here's, you know, whatever. Um, they're, they're just, it's just going to be this, uh, this like sort of like loose affiliation. Like you won't, you won't be able to see the boundaries around their app store, but they will exist, right? And it'll all be sort of powered by it's ad platform plus this attribution system that'll provide identity, right? So the big problem, you know, what Apple has said is like, look, <clears throat> all these, you know, we're restricting access to the IDFA with the ATT prompt, but there's all these other identifiers that you could potentially use. Um, and if you're gonna use those for tracking, or basically if you're gonna collect them, you have to show the ATT prompt um, and allow people to opt out. And if they opt out, then you can't track them. But if you own all this, if you own everything, if you have this entire ecosystem that sits, you know, within the sort of boundaries of your quote unquote app store, you're not tracking them. If you use data from a user in some app and you use that to say, hey, I'm gonna send them to this other app because it's gonna be more valuable for me to have them there. Um, that's not tracking. If you're able to identify users across those apps, right? For your own purposes with your own first party data, it's not tracking. Right. My sense is that's what they're doing. They're, they're basically building an app store that you would not recognize as an app store. And they need all this infrastructure to do that. And they need mm -hmm. the identity piece. They need, you know, the ad serving piece. Um, and they've got, and now they've connected those two things. So, so for Zynga, the next step would be to follow suit with, with AppLovin or AppLovin strategy. It's vertical integration. Do you can, do you see them acquiring both a mediation and um, an attribution platform next? Like, is that a, an opportunity? And, and through that, they become much more efficient in quote unquote cross promotion, but actually just running their own app store. Maybe. Um, I mean, in Zynga's, you know, recent earnings call, they were talking about doing like a cross platform play, which is, is that's sort of aligned with, with what I was talking about, that thesis being that, you know, the future of content uh, distribution is just, is not that one-to-one, -one, hey, I've got this phone. And so because I have this phone, I use this app store, right? So I, have a, I have an Android, so I use Google Play. 
I have an iPhone, so I use the App Store. It's going to be, hey, I have an iPhone and I have a tablet and I have a TV and I have a desktop and I have a Facebook portal and I have, you know, a, a Facebook watch or an Apple watch or whatever. And I use all those things and I want to access my content across all of them. And it just exists in the cloud, right? Um, and, stre and streams to me. So, um, you know, Zynga, I think is kind of maybe bought into that. Maybe someone over there read one of my posts, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, they're, I think they're buying into that. My, my sense with Zynga is it's going to be kind of hard to do what AppLovin has done, right? AppLovin, and I, I talked about this in the Content Fortresses article, you've got to run a command economy. You've got to have a central nexus of power that can make big decisions and, and, and sort of like will them into existence, right? AppLovin has that. Uh, Zynga does not. Zynga is like a sort of constellation of studios and the acquired ones are very independent, right? And, and Frank Chabot even kind of addressed that in the call. He said, look, we, when we do M&A, we look for companies that can operate totally independently. And like, if they want to use our resources that we're here to help, but otherwise we expect them to kind of just be autonomous. And so I think it's going to be really hard to say, hey, well now, guess what? Zynga Studios that we acquired. And by the way, a lot of that, a lot of the economics of the deal were tied to earnout, um, where you wouldn't want us interfering, right? I mean, if 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 a lot of your money is coming from earnout, you don't necessarily want someone having a lot of control over how you run the game, right? Because that could hurt your earnout. Um, but uh, hey, hey, studios that we've acquired, we're building an internal ad network, and you've got to contribute DAU into this um, ad network that we're going to like circulate around across the portfolio. Like no one's going to do that. Right. It's like if I got bought with the idea that, hey, I get to run this independently and I get a huge earnout, I'm not going to all of a sudden buy into this idea of like, well, OK, you can cross promote my users. I'll do what's best for the company. Like no one's going to do that. And I think that's, that's going to be the problem that Zynga faces. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point. And especially since they're talking about this sort of across. I mean, they came up just yesterday with a switch port for the newest star wars game so they're already looking at cross-platform most likely they'll be taking some of their games um on web that, that wouldn't be um you know unheard of because we've already kind of seen scopely do that we've seen plarium do that we've seen um that russian cat company that that just spacked um so and yeah i think i think you're absolutely right it's but wait a minute how when you consider these studios that they've acquired, how many of them have earnouts left? I mean, Graham Games was acquired a good while ago. So, so was Small Giant. Um, was there anything with Peak? Uh, and when was there anything with uh, with Rolik? I think they were kind of like all cash. Uh, well, I don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah, but, most uh, likely there was. But but I mean, I think you know, if, if that's the sort of M and A model, then any future M and A would would have that, you know, probably baked into the terms too. Mm. Uh, so, okay. One question that, that is looking here. So for what do you, do you think that this, like, do you have to have a hyper casual publishing business to make these type of moves? Is that why Zynga bought Rolik? Cause now that they're looking at ad tech next. No, I don't think that's why Zynga bought Rolik. I think Zynga bought Rolik thinking nothing was changing. Right. I think it, I think this hadn't like permeated up to the, to the top layer. And my sense was that on a long-term basis, that deal was probably a bad idea. I mean, I think Rolex, Rolex is crushing it. I mean, they had amazing numbers in the, um, in the earnings. But so, yeah, in the short term, yeah, that was a great deal. But I think ATT is going to really impair that business. And I think long-term, I don't know. Well, they probably already, I think they didn't pay that much for Rolex. So maybe they already made their money back. I don't know. 180 or something. 
Yeah, yeah. No, actually, I don't know. Well, I, yeah, my, my sense is that long-term strategically buying a hyper-casual gaming company was probably not the right move given the environment change. Um, and I don't think, so I don't think they had any of this in mind when they did that. I think it was just, hey, we're hyper-casual seems to be where all the momentum is, right? Um, they had a kind of like rear view look, uh, rear view kind of perspective on the market. Um, they made a point that that hyper casual is actually more stable post IDFA than others. That was no. that was the point that that was that was. Um, I don't want to misquote anybody, but I remember reading something to that extent by saying that you know because of the very broad targeting, hyper casual is actually easier when all the marketing goes to shits because of the ATT. I mean, that just sounds like a sort of ex post justification. I, I don't, that's not true. I mean, the CPMs are going to collapse in hyper casual. I mean, this, this traffic is basically, well, we've talked about this a lot, yeah, but, yeah, but I, 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 I don't think so. Um, but Hey, you know, they're all very wealthy, powerful businessmen and I'm a blogger. So, you know, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a, that's a nice way to, to put it. All right. Um, let's, let's talk about something else in hyper casual. So what do you think the sort of like a vertical integration mean to other players in the market when you consider the mid-sized players that let's say, you know, size of Rovio, for example, and the big ones. So, um, let's say Playrex and, um, you know, of that extent. Playrex should absolutely do this. I don't think you need, I think people think that you need this like very diverse portfolio, but I, it doesn't have to be that diverse. And actually the, the more diverse it is, um, the bigger it has to be, right? Like, I think if you have just adjacent titles, you can make this work with two titles, right? If they're, if they're similar enough that there's like kind of interest overlap, right? And I, I mean, I, I've been banging this drum for years. I've been talking about intelligent cross promotion for years. The thing is it never made economic sense. Right. I mean, I, I, I built this at Rovio. We had this at Rovio in 2017, 16, but I mean, it, it worked well because Rovio's catalog was sort of amenable for that. But um, the thing is like, if you could go and buy users on Facebook for cheap, right? Why would you build this whole cross promotion infrastructure? You didn't have to care. You didn't have to, you, you, could, you could only think about, well, hey, if I buy this user, I'm only getting 90 days worth of LTV out of them, but that's fine because Facebook traffic was cheap. It was targeted. You, you hear people complaining about, oh, CPIs are too high or, or traffic is too expensive. No, your game just doesn't monetize, mm -hmm. right? Games that monetize well are buying against 90-day paybacks, right? I mean, you talk to these games, a lot of these games are, you know, big games from, from very, you know, uh, successful studios. They're buying on like 90-day, 180-day paybacks. Yeah. They're not spending on 720-day paybacks. The only, the only companies that are doing that are that have games that don't monetize or that have just been totally saturated, right? So, um, you know, this idea that like, oh, traffic's so expensive and, and you know, that's just, it's just something that, that's just something that people say when they can't make their game work. Mm. Like, I mean, you, you go to talk to these successful studios, they're buying on very short payback windows, right? They're, they're killing it because it, it, Facebook makes it so easy. And so when that, so why build all this infrastructure for intelligent cross promo, right? If you could just buy users on Facebook, you don't have, you don't have to think about it. And I'll just buy them again and again and again and again, right? It, it, it's, that's, that's what you do. That, that was, that was the operating model. And that's just all going to change. And so now you actually really do have to think about, well, okay, how do I actually retain someone, not just within the game, right? But within my sort of my portfolio, within my content fortress. And how do I build a wall around that, right? To, to sort of prevent anybody, because not only do I want to, not only do I buy these users and expect them to stay, I, I'm not going to sell them out anymore, right? I'm not going to just show ads and sell users out, out of my fortress, right? I'm going to protect them. And so, I, you know, the idea being that like, you're building your own little mini app store. Well, you don't want people leaving, right? Mm -hmm. 
So, but yeah. I don't think I, I don't think you need a hyper casual studio to make that work. I think you just need games that kind of fit together. And and, and the more diverse you want to get, the more titles you need, right? The bigger the portfolio has to be, um, because you've got it. You know, you, you need you need more than just you know uh, the one title that that fits in this like one part of the one part of the sort of quadrant or one part of the uh, the, the the sort of like uh, the the games uh, gameplay map, right? You can't just have one four uh, four X battler. Mm -hmm, you need mm -hmm. two or three because you know what if the person doesn't like that one you need some diversity there yeah, and you need yeah. to be able to to send people within that within that sub vertical right so i think like a playrick should absolutely do this um i think you know like a stillfront or mtg should do this i mean i don't know what i don't know that, that i don't know that much about how those companies operate so maybe they don't want any sort of like centralized structure but i mean if they built this kind of stuff and you know you don't have to build it you can buy it cheap a lot of these ad networks for sale yeah yeah, that's that's so. So, what happens with the uh, like you talked about the big ones, but what happens with the mid tier ones? Like, there are there just praise? Like, are there just targets for M and A? I mean, I think so. I mean, that was kind of the point of the the Ragnarok article, right? Yeah. That you know, there's a lot of people that just won't like because there there is going to be kind of like a bigger is better uh, dimension to this this new sort of like environment for that for the reason that we're talking about now um and, but you know also because you know you're gonna have to do marketing in a way that you didn't have to do it before right like we talked about um like kind of product marketing becoming relevant again um you know well you need a team for that right you need so that, you know again like it's just kind of headcount it's overhead and, and if you're like a small super lean team <clears throat> maybe that's just outside of your scope i think the other thing is like you know, just the way that people did marketing, it was like, well, um, and, you know, like we've talked about this, it's it made, Facebook made it so easy. Yeah. You just run a campaign on Facebook, drop a bunch of ad creatives in. And as you scale that, you need, you know, more creatives, you need analytics and stuff. But you could scale that pretty far with just like, hey, I've got one UA person. We're running like three campaigns on Facebook and we've got some UAC and we're maybe running on Unity or something. Yeah, And, and you, one one person does that, right? Yeah, And that, that could scale to like, you know, a pretty decent amount of spend. Um, you know, UA people don't like hearing that, but it's true. Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, I think that's going to change though. You won't be able to just do, you know, it's not going to be just like, Hey, just set up a bunch of campaigns on Facebook. You're going to need to do actual, like the, the real hard, hard modeling, which is like, okay, well, I don't have directly measurable attributable data. So I'm going to have to do some sort of like probabilistic modeling. Like maybe I'll have some sort of mixed model. Um, maybe I'll be thinking about incrementality, all these things that, that are hard to do that we never had to do before. And that requires personnel, that requires infrastructure, that requires analytics. So which way does it go? So are ad tech companies the M&A targets now, because you mentioned that they're on sale, or are these sort of a mid, are these mid-sized publishers targets for the ad tech companies? Well, I think it could cut both ways. I mean, you know, I, I made the point in um, an article a couple of weeks ago that it's probably easier for an ad tech company to acquire content than it is for a con content company to build or acquire ad tech just because, um, you know, they're like games companies. It, it's just whenever I've seen this not work, right? Whenever I've seen a game company say, hey, I'm going to I'm going to build an ad network. Or I'm going to I'm going to build a DSP. I'm going to. I'm going to build all this ad tech. Um, they almost always under-resource it. Uh, you know, it's kind of ancillary to their core focus. It takes a long time. It takes a very specific type of expertise. 
that's not that easy to hire for. And so it's like, well, okay, you know, it's been six months. Where's the progress up? Oh, we're killing that project. Um, that was a dumb idea. And so, you know, it, it, it's, it's just like, there's, there's, there's much more of, I think of a, of a knowledge gap there. Whereas, you know, building a game, it's like, well, okay, I understand that, you know, this game has to be developed. It's got to, you know, it takes, there's, there's a completed product that needs to be created, right? It's not just like some tech that I roll out and it, it's up and running. And so I'm, you know, you're more willing to give that time. And I also think there's just, uh, there's, there's better knowledge on the ad tech side of like games and game development than there is on the, on the games, you know, development side of, of ad tech mm -hmm. and how that works. And so that, the point I made in the article is it's probably easier for ad tech companies to acquire games. And we're seeing that, right? We saw, you know, Apple Evans has been doing that for a long time. Um, there's uh, what's the, oh man, is it Fiber that runs the Hyper Casual Studio? Um, no, Fiber doesn't run one. Fiber is no, like the uh, most independent out uh, of them. Iron Source. Yeah, yeah, Iron Source, Iron Source, that's right. So they, they have, what, what's the name of the, it used to be an Supersonic. That's right. Yeah, so I mean, you're seeing this happen already. Um, you, you know, Unity got into games publishing, so. That feel, I mean, that feels like that's probably the direction it goes, but it doesn't have to go that way. I mean, I, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if you saw Player Explorer and ad, uh, and ad, um, and ad network. And that makes total sense. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's a couple of other uh, companies that, you know, sort of would benefit from that too. Like Playtica. Well, yeah, Play, I mean, Playtica for sure. Uh, maybe even King. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it, it just makes total sense. The steel front doesn't make sense, though. I mean, it would make sense, but given their strategy and in a way that like their vision is to be more like an index fund for games. And and if you look at their acquisitions, most of them, at least from the uh, when looking at them, they seem to be like the type of games that are sort of a oh, this is this sounds horrible, but like a B tier forever franchises, if you will. Uh, yeah. Games that are that are profitable, that are, you know, good, but not excellent. And, and, and companies that have like a, a portfolio of those games. So it, it doesn't seem like they, when they acquire a company, that company grows. Like it happens with the, when Zynga acquires you or Platico acquires you, you know, they, they really invest into your growth. And then they, they basically see you as, as a rough, rough cut diamond and they, they polish you up with, with all the expertise. With, with Stillfront, it seems like they're just bundling them together and they're all good and now they have more good companies under one sort of an index umbrella. But then again, we've seen like, you know, just recently Steelfront posted a, a job uh, of, of looking for like a head of analytics uh, that will be placed internally, looking at all the portfolio games. So, so they might be kind of looking at, at maybe managing slightly more strategically, or at least providing more resources through their portfolio companies than just holding them as one happy, rich family. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. I mean, that that probably makes less sense. I I think you're right that they just sort of buy this. They, they buy stuff that's, um, you know, kind of in the tail, right? Yes. Like, yeah, the legacy like, titles. Like, right. It's it's they're like a successful Rocky, right? Remember yeah. Rocky? Yeah. yeah. Or or uh, Deca games. Yeah, exactly. You're right. But except um, Deca does but, monetize their their they kind of Deca kind of takes like games that are that are like have been and then kind of like, I don't know, just uh, puts them on steroids and kind of brings them back alive <laughs> to some oh, extent. Yeah. Like <laughs> maybe that's where the DECA comes from. It would make sense, but. <laughs> yeah, like uh, we, we had a hamster like when I was growing up and it died and, uh, or, and we gave it sugar water and I didn't die, but it was like a coma or something. And we gave it sugar water and like bounced back to life. 
but then it died like i don't know like a month later or so <laughs> <It> was... <laughs> but but um but yeah it's um and, and again no offense it's just like legacy titles is probably the best way to to describe those and everybody you know everybody's seen what the what the numbers in those games are they, they seem to be they seem to have great kpis and and like small amount of installs but every time you try to juice them up and kind of like hey let's do little something something and and put this game on a growth curve because look at these kpis nothing really works like it's impossible to acquire yeah. users to those games and and they just have they just have this small niche audience playing it for years so yeah so it is what I, it is it's, i think it's really hard it's really hard to acquire a game and then invest into into further development like with a new team you know what i mean they say, hey give us all the code and send it. it's almost like yeah just give us the app store username and password all we care about is <laughs> collecting the money no but it's just do you, do you agree i mean like I've, I've seen that it's it's very hard to like hey send us all the code and we're going to continue developing it but we need to sort of get acquainted with the systems yeah. well that's and everything that does. tends to not work that's what they Deca do that? does. Yeah, and I, I like that. That seems to be their model and has been working. Again, the games that have been taking are like super long tail, but still, yeah. um, they I, I believe that they've been successful. And um, and again, I don't know the, the model too much. And we had the CEO of Deca uh, on um, on a podcast. I did the uh, the steroid reference. He didn't catch it, so it it wasn't. It's clearly not based on a steroid. The name, but would be a good idea, <laughs> okay. you know. <laughs> Yeah, I, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I didn't know that reference either. You don't know, De- you know I'm okay. on, Now I'm, I'm, well, I'm, I'm letting I'm letting people know too much about myself. No, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know I'm on HGH, so I, I don't mess with steroids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't do cycles. You're just on like a steady flow of TRT and, and HGH. <laughs> yeah, man. I got to go into the hospital and get a transfusion once a week, so that's I don't mess with steroids. <laughs> um. All right, all right, but but yeah, it it does make sense, and and bigger are gonna be getting bigger. But but is there like, are you losing any kind of competitive advantage? Like this is JK's uh, again. Th- this is his his uh, conspiracy theory. This this um this high frequency bidding, and now and and we had this crazy discussion on Deconstructor Fun uh, Slack channel about adjust being bought by app love and a lot of a lot of people were posting about it having discussion about it like now app love is going to see all their all their data and they're screwed and, and this was coming from companies that were you know some of them were quite small so not really like targets for app love but still mm-hmm. do, do you see do you see there there being a big risk of, of companies owning now these mediation platforms and, and ad tech um i mean the attribution side of that is uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of problematic. I mean, I, I recorded a podcast. I haven't published it yet. I'm, I'm stuck in a hotel in Austin. We've had like a weather emergency for the last week. And so I had, I'm not at home and I can't edit this yeah. podcast that I recorded, but with uh, Peter Hamilton, CEO of Tune or the former CEO of Tune, which is an attribution company. And he was, he was telling me that I was being conspiratorial saying, Hey, well, app, you know, Apple 11 now has basically all of adjust postbacks, right? All of adjust SKN network postbacks are going to go to adjust. And for all of adjust clients and app loving will have that. And it'll be, and, and you know, it's not, it's not with the full data stream that they have now with every single post back, but which is probably why, you know, this is happening, you know, this probably wouldn't be, it'd be a lot more problematic if the acquisition happened like two years ago, mm-hmm. right? Because it just has just a full clear picture of everything that's happening, you know, in, in all of its clients apps or at least the events they log and send back to adjust. Um, but I mean, so does app loving cause app loving is an ad network uh, and they get that too. But um, but they'll have all the SK ad network postbacks, right? For all of adjust clients, and so they'll have a pretty good view of what what conversion events are happening, 
um, in which apps and uh, and that you know that that data will will sort of be valuable for for their own games, right? So knowing, hey, um, you know, this app served, I, I this campaign generated this install, and this install created this conversion event. That's probably a revenue event because uh, you know they they logged it um, and they they thought it was valuable enough to include in the post backend. So that so this this app serves quality users and so i should advertise there mm. right but i mean they they kind of are going to get that anyway because they're an ad network they're, they're a major ad network so I, I don't know that there's that i mean that is problematic right and they're going to have that and it's just clear there's even more data around essentially what its competitors are doing but i mean ad, app loving is you know it's a top tier ad network they're getting that data anyway mm. um so i don't know that the, the adjust gives them like a little bit more depth but it's not transformational right it's it's not like a it's not like a totally new dimension to, to the data that they have. It, it adds like the turn to a punch, like the last, you know, like the last half of an inch to your knockout punch. So that's, that's basically what's happening with the adjust acquisition. But, um, but yeah, so, so Applovin is, 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 is very well positioned to, to dominate, continue to dominate the market. They, they have had some amazing success. And like anecdotally speaking, you know, people have noticed that the uh, Applov and MNA team is very aggressive and coming in very early. Like the moment you put your game out and kind of mm -hmm. connect with with an app network, they're already knocking on your door. Like, hey, get, like, yeah, I, I believe you're seeing some good numbers. Let's talk. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, but this is anecdotally, like. Well, I'm, I, I, so I said it in this, in this podcast we recorded that I haven't published yet. But you know, App Applovin is just probably like the most impressive. Um, you know, set of operators that exists on mobile, right? Like, so anytime App 11 does something, my sort of default position on that is that it must be a genius move. And I need to sort of like work backwards into, into sort of understanding why, mm -hmm. right? Like my, my sort of default interpretation of anything that App 11 does is that it was genius. Mm -hmm. um, and, and now I need to sort of like reverse engineer why. Uh, so this, I, my sense is that like people will look back in like three years and say, wow, that acquisition of Adjust was prescient. That I, you know, my, my understanding of the acquisition price was that it, you know, it was a good outcome for adjust, but it was reasonable, right? Given the deteriorating sort of environment for that business. Um, so the adjust people were reasonably happy. Um, and I think that it's just going to, it's going to provide sort of like, you know, a tremendous amount of value going into this new environment. Got it. All right. So looking forward to, to seeing how this, this, uh, app loving playing chess while everybody is playing checkers and how that how that will be looking at and how, how that will look in in few years so eric um any final words for for the dear listeners any any upcoming workshops that people can can um can attend with mobile dev memo uh i know i had one but it, it's it's filled up um just you know i think uh you know to just to kind of address that the comment from earlier that like you know selling fear or whatever, I'm not really <laughs> selling any. I'm not I'm not really selling anything. I mean, I think, you know, when I sort of commentate on this stuff, it's not opinion, right? I think it's it's just it's an interpret. I mean, it's a, it's not like I'm not writing op eds, right? Like about no. you know about like culture or society. It's it, this is ob these are observations uh, of a market, right? And like yeah, I'm, I'm biased, sure. Um, but you know the the thing is like there's a whole new paradigm that we're entering into and i think if anything people are taking it uh not seriously enough right and so like it's not just like you know this idea that like hammering like oh this is going to destroy your business it's going to destroy your business well it's not it's not that it's that it's 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 going to completely change the marketplace yeah um and you know you can adapt to that and i mean there's no reason why anybody can't 
but you've got to sort of understand what's happening and, and realize why um, if you want to have like a fuller sort of like three year out picture of how the market's going to change. So I, I just, I mean, it, it's, it's like overwhelming and there's just, you know, a lot of negative sentiment and, you know, it's, it's pretty much all anybody talks about. Um, but I mean, there's not like, I don't know. It's if there was like an opportunistic bent to this, uh, uh, you can't, you I can't probably... be Eric. You can't be listening to that type of stuff. I get the same thing. Like if I give an analysis of a game company, like Supercell is a great example. If I say anything uh, that is sort of a constructive uh, criticism, just like yeah, like they're they're the best in the world at making new games. Running running existing games is challenging, or that they have their revenue has decreased this year. It's just like facts. And then providing right. my my own opinion on 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 objectively on why these why these things are happening, then you're immediately being called a salty or or yeah. negative. Then you should be pretty much just always praising every company. But on the other hand, why do you even listen to that? That was more like a joke. It's like, listen, no, no. you're providing clear objective information, and if you don't like that clear objective information, you don't have to listen to it. Like you literally don't have to read Mobile Dev Memo. Or listen to this podcast ever and if you do you can have your opinion against this and you can even just connect with me or connect with you and record a podcast where you can argue that issue but but having like by reading into somebody's opinion on on them kind of like um taking one sound sound bite out of you and then putting it into the umbrella of like oh he's selling fear or he's being salty or that kind of stuff that's nonsense i wouldn't listen to that at all yeah, fair. Actually, that's a good idea. If there's someone, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be interesting to bring someone on who's like, no, 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 nothing's going to change. Everything's going to stay the same. And here's why. Yeah. It'd be interesting to bring someone on who has that opinion onto the podcast. So whoever is listening, and if you consider that IDFA is not, IDFA deprecation is not really that big of a thing, come on in. I'll host it and, um, and you can talk to Eric, give your opinion, and it is as valid as Eric's opinion. Yeah, and we could also talk about why you think the Earth is flat and why the moon landing was fake. <laughs> why dinosaur bones were planted. <laughs> All right, I think I think it's good to conclude the uh, the growth triggers on this. Catch us up and and catch with us in in couple of weeks. So yeah, that's that's it, folks. All right, buddy. Speak soon. Bye. Thank you for listening through the whole episode. For more growth content, please check out previous episodes on Deconstructor of Fun Podcast and do visit the Mobile Dev Memo website as well as the Mobile Dev Memo Podcast. For more growth topics, please do connect with myself or Eric Sufer directly through LinkedIn or Twitter. And for discussion about what we talked on this podcast, please join the Deconstructor of Fun Slack group. The application can be found on deconstructor.com website. And last, but definitely not least, huge thanks to our sponsors, Iron Source and Apps Flyer. Catch you guys on the next episode. Bye.